Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org slash postscript. Well, when we talk about FaithBridge Church, I think what's really important for us to remember is we're not talking about building. We're talking about people, the small groups that together comprise the church. So when you have enough small groups meeting in a certain area, it only makes sense to have a campus that then they can come more conveniently on Sundays to worship and throughout the week to serve as a mission outpost into that community. My name is Wayne Risher, and I'm the campus pastor for Faith Bridge in the Woodlands. After I sold my company, Pastor Ken asked me if I would go and help launch the new campus for Faith Bridge in the Woodlands. And uh, we had a vision of taking everything that we have loved at Faith Bridge and taking it to another location where we could minister to new folks, new neighbors, and get to know new people. We chose to attend Faith Bridge at the Woodlands campus because it is right around the corner from us. It's within walking distance. And we thought, you know what, we'll give it a try and we'll see how we like it. But after being here, after coming to several worship services, we knew we were in the right place. One of our main objectives when we uh, were planning about setting up in Colson Tough was to make sure that we converted the space in such a way that somebody from the Klein campus could come up to the Woodlands campus and worship there and go, oh, this feels like Faith Bridge to me. And somebody from the Woodlands campus could go to the Klein campus and say, they don't have to set up as much as we do, but looking around, this is Faith Bridge. The Woodlands does everything the same. When you walk into that school that's transformed into our church, it's it doesn't feel like a school anymore. We have been able to replicate the same sort of DNA, the same worship feel, the same kids ministry, the same FSM, um, and the same live teaching technology that we're using at the Klein campus connects us together. We have gotten to know people so much more and so much deeper in such a very short amount of time um, than we ever have. And I, and I think it's because we're with the same people every Sunday. We're serving with the people. We're worshiping with them. Our kids are all together. One of the things I'm most excited about as I look ahead at our Woodlands campus is seeing the, the narrative of what God's been doing on the Klein campus continuing on our Woodlands campus. And this is the exciting part because on Sunday mornings we take that elementary school and completely convert it into Faith Bridge. When you walk into Colson Tough School on a Sunday morning, you don't feel like you're in a school cafeteria to begin with. You feel like you're in a place of worship. And I think it's amazing how FaithBridge can transform that school into something that looks so much like a worship center. We're serving together, we're building relationships and having community, and while all that's happening, somehow uh, the whole school is converted from secular space into sacred space. And when you're done, you can step back and you've taken this ordinary elementary school and turned it into this really neat place of worship. I know there's a lot of work that goes into it, and we see the result when we walk in on Sunday morning. It's incredible. I think one of the things that makes me happiest about the reports that I get back f- f- 
regularly from the woodlands has to do with lives being changed. I think as a family, we have become closer spiritually. Um, I know in the evenings before bed, our girls read from their devotional, and they're tying in what they're reading from their devotional with what they're learning on Sunday mornings um, in the children's group, and that to me is, that's incredible. They'll have that, they'll hold on to that for the rest of their lives. We're one church with the same message of accomplishing the same mission week in and week out. That's FaithBridge. And welcome to FaithBridge. Yes, I'm excited about all those things going on. Exactly. I think the Lord's doing a great work in our church as we move on out into a new community and, and reach them there. And for all those who are joining us just now at the Woodlands campus, thank you for what you do each morning, getting up, hauling a trailer, setting up a chair, putting things together. It's exciting. Your work matters, and I'm grateful for you. Welcome. And if you're in Center Court East or Center Court West, my special welcome to you today because I don't get to be on the Klein campus every week. In fact, I haven't been here in months on a Sunday, and I'm so glad to have you with us. And for you who are joining us online just now, welcome to you. I'm glad we're all connected today. I love that. Well, my name is Wayne Risher, and I'm the campus pastor for Faith Bridge in the Woodlands, if we don't already know each other. Let me bring you along in our story today. We're in the middle of a five-part sermon series that Pastor Ken started a couple of weeks ago. If you haven't jumped online, if you were away and missed, I'd encourage you to go to faithbridge.org and just pick up the last couple of messages that Ken brought. They're very helpful in several ways. And today we'll pick up where he left off. I'll be bringing the third installment. And we're going to spend quite a bit of time in our text today. So this would be a great day if you've got a Bible to get it out. And uh, we'll follow along. If the ushers would come forward in all of our rooms, uh, if you'd like to have a Bible to follow along, just raise your hand, flag one of them down, they'll pass the Bible to you. If you've got your FaithBridge app on your smartphone or your Bible reader, now would be the time to pull that up because we will spend some time this morning. And if you don't have a Bible or would like to have that one, you're welcome to take it home. We give away hundreds of Bibles around here each year. We'd love for you to take that and have that as our gift, okay? And as you open up your Bible to Daniel chapter 3, why don't we ask God to go with us and teach us this morning, if you'll pray with me. Lord, thank you for the day you've given to us today. Thank you for an opportunity to come and be together and uh, worship together, to learn together, and all of those things. Lord, won't you send your Holy Spirit this morning to be our teacher and to guide us into the things that you'd have us know from your word. Lord, thank you for the day, and we give it to you in Jesus' name, amen. Well, to start off in Daniel chapter 3 today and to land just where we want to, let me tell you we need to ask a question. Start by answering this. Have you ever been moving through life just fine, everything going along just well, and you bump up to a life moment that you're completely unprepared for or maybe not suspecting at all uh, would come? Completely unexpected. Uh, for you, maybe that moment may have been a professional crisis. Maybe you walked into a situation at work you totally weren't expecting. Had that uh-oh moment, I sure wasn't expecting that. Maybe it was a family moment where you walked in to a life moment there at a marriage counselor's office or getting help for a bad decision that a child made. Wasn't expecting that. Maybe it was a hospital or a funeral home. Or maybe you walked into a moment where you felt persecuted for your faith. And if you've had those moments where you've sort of moved through life just well and just fine and everything was going along swimmingly and you say, well, wasn't expecting that. 
That's exactly where we are today in Daniel chapter 3. Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are standing in front of a life moment they weren't expecting, and the outcome is perfectly unclear uh, to them as we go along. So I'll be borrowing today a little bit from Tim Keller and John Ortberg as we pick up in our story that happened about 2,500 years ago. Now, if you remember from Ken's messages the last couple of weeks, The Babylonian Empire under King Nebuchadnezzar has been expanding and growing, and Jerusalem uh, was one of their casualties. They came in and they tore the place apart and uh, took the brightest and smartest guys. King Nebuchadnezzar was pretty pretty tricky. He kidnapped the uh, smart and wise young Jewish men and carted them back off to Babylon. Well, why did he do that? Well, he wanted to tap into their gene pool, get them to intermarry with the Babylonian women, so there'd be a bunch of little Babylonians running around. And uh, in the middle, middle of all of that, he'd get them to forget about their Jewish customs and about their Jewish God. Didn't just do it to Jerusalem, but all the areas around and other cultures, same thing. Grabbed the brightest and best minds, and he brought them into his country to turn them into Babylonians. And as we get through the text today in Daniel chapter 3, I really want us to follow the narrative and understand the story that's unfolding for us here today, and then land in a truth at the very end that will help us see their unshakable faith as Daniel's friends experience an interesting encounter with God that they completely weren't expecting. Hoped for, but weren't expecting. If you'll follow along with me, I'm going to read for quite a bit today in Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. I want to look there. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. Now, just for your point of reference, that's about 90 feet high and 9 feet wide, so big. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon, and then he summoned the satraps and the prefects and governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come out to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps and prefects and governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and the provincial officials, they all assembled for the dedication of the image that the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language and of every tribe, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn and the flute and the zither, which is like a guitar, the lyre and the harp and the pipe and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not worship it will be immediately thrown into the blazing furnace. Well, what's happening here? King Nebuchadnezzar is dealing with the situation. He's got a multicultural group that he's brought together. They're not Babylonians, but he wants to make them Babylonians. So he has this special little time. He gathers them together, sort of to manage a unique moment to turn them into Babylonians instead of Jews or whatever culture they were from. He knows a united kingdom is much stronger than one divided by a bunch of factions and their own uh, traditions. So what does he do? He creates this giant sculpture, 90 feet tall, covered in gold, and decides he's going to create a a unified moment around this, and he tells him, we're going to worship this statue together. Well, what he doesn't tell us in the scripture is we don't know the name of the pagan god that the statue is fashioned after. We don't even know what religion he was asking them to bow down and worship to. I don't think it was anything to do with religion at all. I think it was everything to do with King Nebuchadnezzar trying to get some power over these people. Make them a unified nation. 
So what do we know about this moment? Well, I'll tell you what we do know. This was a big deal, folks. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was working on something. People were coming in, skilled laborers from all over the place. They were bringing in gold, uh, truckload after truckload of gold. I mean, everybody was talking about it. This was quite a buzz in the town of Babylon, for sure. And then one day, the statue was complete. And then this statue is going to be taken out to the plain of Dura, and somewhere out there, it's going to be stood up. Well, I was thinking about that in the text, and thinking about the movement of that statue, thinking, well, how in the world did it get out there on the plain of Dura? Uh, I don't know for sure, but I can tell you that it reminded me of a family vacation we took when I was just just a small boy. My mom and dad wanted to take us to Tennessee to see the Grand Ole Opry and the Country Music Hall of Fame. And we wanted to make sure we circled around down through Memphis so we could see Graceland, which is the name of Elvis Presley's house, if you don't know that. Well, <clears throat> Dad and I, I can, I'll never forget it, uh, Dad and I went downstairs. We're staying at a Days Inn motel, and we went down the staircase, and under the staircase was one of those sort of uh, metal racks that you get newspapers from. Put a couple of coins in and open the front, pull out the newspaper, Dad looked at the headline, Elvis Presley dead at age 42. Completely changed our vacation. Yes, we saw the Grand Ole Opry and the Country Music Hall of Fame, but we weren't able to get anywhere near Memphis, Tennessee, especially not in front of Graceland, which is where we wanted to go. People were mourning at the gates by the thousands, police barricades, all kinds of people had come in from all over the place. It was completely uh, blocked off. Well, even though Elvis was a generation or so ahead of mine, I was interested because I was experiencing that as a child to the culture that surrounded Elvis in the years that would pass. Uh, And especially I was interested a couple of decades ago when the media announced that the Lisa Marie, which was Elvis's private and personal aircraft, was coming back to Graceland as its final resting spot. And when it came back to Graceland, it would be part of a museum that still stands even there today. Well, I thought to myself, are you kidding me? They're going to move this airplane from the airport down to Elvis's house, Graceland? How are they going to do that? Well, I'll tell you exactly how they did that. With all kinds of media hype and fanfare and royal escorts from the Memphis police, they pulled that thing right down the streets of Memphis, Tennessee. They took off the edges of the wings. And this is a big aircraft now, like a Boeing 707. And they pulled that thing right down the street to Elvis's house, Graceland. Well, as I thought about that, I thought to myself, you know what? That's exactly what was happening in Babylon, wasn't it? When that statue moved out into the field, into the plains of uh, Dura, I know the people were looking out their window saying, oh my gosh, honey, you're not going to believe this. Get your iPhone. We've got to capture this moment. There's going to be a whole crowd of people looking at that thing, probably 12 million views by lunchtime. That's exactly what was going on in this era as well. I don't know if they pulled that thing out there on a cart, uh, if they drug it out there, if they made special uh, carrier, what it was, but what a sight it was, and that's exactly what King Nebuchadnezzar wanted. He wanted those people to experience a uniquely Babylon, a Babylonian uh, moment, no different than us today. Well, when that thing got out there into the fields, and I don't know how he did it, 90 feet in the technology they had, but he raised that thing up nearly 10 stories high, statue made of gold. When he got that thing up, there was a huge crowd standing there watching by, and it was time for everyone to uh, get together, and a pilgrim started to happen. There were all the pilgrimage where the people went out to the, the valley and looked, and there they saw the largest multicultural gathering of leaders they had ever seen. 
Well, we don't know much about that statue. We don't know the name of it, the religion it was, as I mentioned, but we know it was there. And we know they were looking at it. And so as people began to arrive, they bowed down as Nebuchadnezzar had commanded. Failure to worship that gold statue was trouble. In fact, we see the music started to play, and that was the beginning in verse 7. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn and the flute and the zither and the lyre and the harp and all kinds of music, all nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Well, I imagine this went on for quite some time. But like a little child who's praying at the dinner table and they've got their eyes closed and they're praying and then all of a sudden one eye comes open and they start to look around to see who else is praying. That's exactly what happened right there because all the people were worshiping this giant statue and someone noticed that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't bowing their knee at all. In fact, they were just standing there. They were just standing there and they told the person next to them and next to them and through this giant multitude of a a person crowd, a little rippling started happening and next thing you know, there's nobody who's looking at that king and there's nobody who's looking at that statue. They're all looking at the stage at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were officials in the king's court who weren't bowing down at all. Everyone was eyes on them and that is not what the king was trying to accomplish in this and they really were wondering, oh my. Would the king really kill his own officials who weren't bowing down? Well, the enemies of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they certainly spoke up. They weren't afraid in this moment to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego down because we see in verse 8, if you're following along in the text, at this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. These men were filled with the jealousy. They hated the fact that these Jewish guys were getting promoted. We pick up in verse 16. They were so happy to bring them down before King Nebuchadnezzar in the crowd. It says, furious with rage, in verse 13, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were brought before the king. And he said, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't serve my gods or worship the image I set up? It was like, okay, boys, I'm giving you one last chance. You're going to do this or the hammer is going to fall. Now he says in verse 15, when you hear the sound of the horn and the flute and zither and the lyre and the harp and the pipe and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you don't worship it, then you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace and then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Well, I guarantee you when Nebuchadnezzar said, what God will rescue you from my hand, he wasn't asking for the name of a God. Uh, I guarantee you he wasn't looking for information. In fact, in my ears, I even hear an evil little laugh, sort of like, I've got you now, you fools. You want to disobey me? Watch what happens now because I'm definitely the king. And I know he was totally surprised when they responded to him in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Well, let's pause here for a minute because that's a statement of remarkable faith that we can certainly ponder today. They said, the God we serve is able to deliver us, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Our God is able. That's what they told the king. 
That's a truth we need to hold on to today because we could share our own stories about how God is able. Right now in Center Court East, Center Court West, uh, in the Woodlands, we could all make circles right now and tell stories about how God is able. God's done this. He's able to do this. He's able to change the heart. uh, heart. Uh, He's able to send the wayward child home, heal our bodies. He's able to deliver us from addictions. Uh, Our God is able to teach us and give us wisdom intact, which is what Ken talked about last week. He's able to provide in our greatest need, and that's what they told the king. Our God is able. Well, why? Well, the reason why is because in the first two chapters of Daniel, over the last two weeks, we learned that they had been experiencing God's ableness in the middle of their capture and taken to Babylon. Uh, And I know as soon as they said that to the king, our God is able, I know they started praying harder than they've ever prayed before. Certainly as we should pray, they were asking, oh God, we're in a situation now. You know, we just proclaimed all this to the king. We're in trouble. The hammer's about to fall. Oh God, won't you just deliver us from this stage right now? But he didn't. He said, oh God, you know our friend Daniel is one of the officials in this uh, King's court, could you just send Daniel right now to rescue us? But Daniel doesn't show up here in chapter three. He said, oh God, could these people just forget about this crazy decree that we disobeyed? Deliver us in this moment right now, but he didn't. Their prayers didn't seem to be answered. And I bet they looked at each other in that moment sort of with a little fear and doubt, but yet we know they were completely filled with faith and courage. How do we know that? Because they actually testified to King Nebuchadnezzar a second time in verse 17 and 18. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, then the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your hand, verse 18. But if he does not... We want you to know, your majesty, that we won't worship your God nor the God of gold that you've set up before us. Well, they were following what the scripture says in Joshua 24, 15 that says, you'll have no other gods before me. These Jewish men were holding fast to their custom. They were exceptionally faithful because they knew the God who parted the Red Sea and saved God's people. They knew the God who dropped the giant Goliath by the slingshot of a shepherd boy's stone. That's the kind of faith we need to be operating with. Are you having that kind of faith to trust him? When he doesn't answer our prayers as quick or the way we think he ought to, do we still trust him with our finances, our kids, our family, our jobs? Do we still trust him with the relationships that we hold so close? Well, I don't know what this means for you, but I'll have to just admit that for me, when everything is going great for me, my plans are coming together, my kids are behaving, my checkbook is full, my gas tank is full, my refrigerator home is full, it's easy for me to testify to the grace and provision and love of our God, right? Everything's great. God's glory is fantastic. I'm happy to share all about it. But when things don't go my way and my plans start falling apart, and all the things I'm thinking aren't so good. I'm feeling a pinch in my wallet, not so much in the refrigerator, car running low on gas. Then I start to default, not to my God is able, but my default sometimes is, hmm, am I able? And I start to control it and try to fix it, try to get in there and self-adjust and self-correct and get absorbed with my own situation. So I don't want to default to that. Well, you know what I believe is absolutely true? 
It doesn't tell us in Scripture the name of that statue, but I believe I know the name of that statue. I think that statue's name was me. I think the statue in our story today is the statue that humankind has been trying to bow down to for years, and that's the statue of me. We want to save it. We want to fix it. We want to save ourselves, but we can't do it. We need a Savior. That's why we have Jesus. I know the Scripture says that every tongue will confess and every knee will bow, of course, and that's the, that's the knee I want to take is before Jesus, Jesus Christ, who is the Lord. Look in verse 19. Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude changed towards them. He, he ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than before. Well, something's about to happen right now, friends. This is the tense crossroad in the story. The king has now become enraged in them. He's ordered the furnace to be seven times harder than it's ever been before. And I'll tell you, in all my travels around the country, and even certainly the world, I've never been in one of my tourist books looking for a tourist site that says, come and check out the fiery furnace, which is a torture chamber we have set up for all the tourists to come and see. I've never seen that before. And I don't think that was a tourist site in Babylon either. I'll tell you what that fiery furnace was for. Think about it. That thing was big, giant blast furnace, probably several stories tall, for firing brick for the king's building projects. I bet that thing could be made so hot it could even melt gold. It could be rolled into sheets and pounded over a statue 90 feet tall. Well, I know one thing for sure. In verse 21... It says that these men were wearing their robes and their trousers and their turbans and other clothes. They were bound and they were thrown into the furnace, a furnace so hot that the flames actually killed the soldiers that were carrying Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men who were firmly tied, the scripture says, fell into the furnace. I know it seems like a hopeless situation, but there they were, bound up. I'm sure they felt the heat of the furnace and I'm sure they felt uh, the soldiers let go of them as they perished uh, right there uh, before them. Uh, I'm sure it felt so hopeless in that moment. I'm sure they were just like you and I would be, a little afraid, a little doubtful. But we know they were filled with courage and fear because of what they testified to the king. It was sort of like that moment where you have a car accident you're about to get into and you see it coming. You grab the steering wheel and you close your eyes and you just brace for impact and boom. The impact for them never came. They took a big breath, expecting the smoke to burn their lungs. No smoke. The fire from the, the pain from the fire never came. In fact, the scripture tells us they were okay. Not only okay, but they realized, hey, not only are we okay, but we're free. And the best part is what happens in verse 24. They're actually seen walking around inside the furnace. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet with amazement. He asked his advisors, hey, hey, weren't there three men tied up in there we threw into the fire? Yes, they replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Well, there's a fourth person in the furnace. Well, the scripture doesn't tell us who the fourth person is, but many believe it's the pre-incarnate Christ, and I believe it was, and it sounds just like Christ, something he would do, doesn't it? The kind of God who rescues people doesn't ask people to go through the same fire he wouldn't go through himself. In fact, he rescues us in a way, instead of bowing down to ourselves and the God of me, the statue of me, we bow down to him because he has gone through the fire ahead of us, died on the cross for the sins of all the humanity, so we have him to bow down to. Well, I wonder what the fourth man said to them in the furnace. wonder if he said, God is so pleased with your faithfulness and your courage 
2,500 years from now, they're going to be talking about you on a Sunday morning and sharing the story about your unshakable faith. In fact, people who are going through suffering, even persecution, almost into death, uh, in fact, will gain strength from your story, Shadrach, Meshach, and uh, and Abednego. And then I thought to myself, huh, interesting, I wonder what they would have said to the fourth man. Well, I bet they thanked him, and they worshiped him like they've never worshiped before. I bet they gave him adoration and praise like they've never done before. I bet they were very excited because the actual furnace that was going to be the end of the road for them turned out to be the best place because that's actually where they met God. And here's the real point in today's story that I don't want you to go away from without, without getting. And that is that sometimes, friends, we're hoping like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be delivered from the fire. But sometimes he chooses to meet us in the fire and deliver us there. Did you catch that? Sometimes God answers our prayers in a way we wouldn't expect. Instead of delivering us from the fire, he actually meets us and delivers us in the fire. The place where faith and devotion seem scary at times, you've never been there. Jesus says, well, come, follow me, and I'll meet you in the fire. He still calls that out to us today. And we see in verse 26 as we finish up, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace. He shouted out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out here, come out here. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps and the prefects, the governors and royal advisors, they all crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor a hair on their head was singed. Their robes robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire even on them. (laughs) Nebuchadnezzar said, well, praise God, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, today... I decree that all people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can save this way. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to the province of Babylon. Well, not only do they survive and become restored to their positions, but he actually elevates and lifts them up. I wonder how many times they told this account and story in the years to come with their kids and grandkids. How many opportunities they had to witness and share that story of God's deliverance inside the fire over the years, but we don't really know. Because this is the last time that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego appear in the scripture. But I guarantee you one thing, they never forgot this moment. If you've ever been in a tough spot like this and the outcome is uncertain and God meets you there in a special way, it marks you. It marks you in a way that you take that experience to your grave, and that's exactly what's going on here with them. The problem for us, friends, I'm just bringing this up for us to ponder for a minute, is that we sometimes in our life can have a fiery furnace avoidance strategy, and that's not what we want. We say, oh, God, please give us an easy day, an easy job, and an easy life, take these obstacles away from us, make everything go along smooth, make sure I get my 10% raise this year and we'll all be good. Well, sometimes maybe we need to be praying instead of God would make our life so easy, he would meet us where we're at and there we can have an encounter and experience with him. 
Another thing I need to mention to you is somebody may be standing just outside the periphery of your life watching you. Maybe there's a King Nebuchadnezzar who's watching you in the fire and seeing how you suffer well and you respond and call out to God could be their first opportunity to have an on-ramp experience with Christ themselves. So be careful about who's watching you. God said, follow me. I never said it was going to be easy to give you a great house, great spouse, great kids, great car, great job. No, no, he said, follow me. I'll give you an unconditional love and joy and all those things, yes, but the trials will come. But he says, nevertheless, fear not because I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. So friends, I don't know what this means for you today and I don't know which of you are standing in front of or in a fiery furnace. I don't know for some of us that there isn't a fiery furnace just waiting around the corner and we don't even know it yet. But I do know two things. I do know one, God is able. He was able then, 2,500 years ago, and he's able today to do miracles in our lives. The second thing I know is when we're in that rough spot and the outcome is uncertain, I know that God sometimes will deliver us from that furnace when we pray. Sometimes, though, he'll come and meet us in the midst of it and deliver us there. And when you're there in that spot, you just call out to God, oh, God, you already know where the spot I'm in. You already know where I'm at, Lord. I'm like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm just calling out to you. God, where are you in this moment? I'm looking for you. And I feel totally confident that in your spirit, you'll hear God just saying right back to you, I'm right there with you. Let's pray together. Father and our God, thank you for being with us when we call out to you. Thank you for being a God who never leaves us and never forsakes us. God, right now I'm just praying for the people who are standing on the periphery of our lives, Lord, who are watching us as Christians. Lord, won't you help us be in a way that we can suffer calling out to you, experiencing you that will help others even come into a relationship with you, the saving grace and knowledge of your son Jesus who went through the fire on the cross and died for the sins of all mankind so we wouldn't have to bow down to a false idol like ourselves, but you give us a real savior we can bow down to who will save us. Lord, right now for anyone in this room who is standing at the threshold of the fire and feeling the heat, Lord, in their family, their professional life, their financial life, Lord. Lord, even their spiritual life, maybe we need to feel the heat a little bit so that we can meet you. Lord, won't you come and not only deliver us from the furnace, but if it be your will, Lord, meet us. That's the most important thing is we want to have an encounter with you. Lord, forgive us for trying to do it all ourselves. Forgive us so often for calling out and saying, I am able. Lord, you're able. We want to trust you. Lord, there's so much we need to give over to you even today. Lord, we do give it to you and we surrender. We know you're able. Thank you. Jesus, call it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day.
Welcome to another edition of Postscript. My name is Michael Sullivan, and I'm the business administrator here at FaithBridge. And I'm joined by our Woodlands campus pastor, Wayne Risher, who just gave a great sermon, uh, the third sermon in our Unshakable series. And he is here and going to answer a couple of questions great. for us. Thanks Thank for you. joining us, Wayne. Yeah, it's glad to be here. Well, the first question, the most popular question we got in on Postscript this week was simply, where is Daniel? Uh, you know, Daniel has this <laughs> right. great faith with the dream, and here's this moment where the furnace is blazing, and he's nowhere to be seen. So where I asked ask the same question, and you say, oh, God, where did Daniel come and save us? You know, they were praying. Maybe that was what they prayed, but I assume that's what they would pray. Well, we don't know exactly, Michael, uh, where the scripture is on that because Daniel could have been, uh, Babylon was big, so he could have been in any provincial business that mm -hmm. the king had for him. We don't know exactly where he was. The scripture is silent on that. Much like I mentioned with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the scripture sort of goes silent on them mm -hmm. um, just, just beyond this. We don't know what happened. So, but we know Daniel returns to the story because, and I won't give away what's coming in Daniel uh, 4 and on, but uh, Daniel's coming back and we'll have an opportunity to interact with him. But we don't know what happened with him in Daniel chapter 3. This was the moment for Nebuchadnezzar to deal directly with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and for them to make their choice who they were going to serve, and they did. It's a yeah. great testimony because there were a few believers in the land who were all being an impactful presence for God's kingdom, not just Daniel. So it's great to see that there are multiple people serving the Lord in Babylon. <clears throat> you know, in that, I, I really was thinking about the fact that there were other Jews there yeah. uh, who were being compromised, who no mm -hmm. doubt they were probably in the crowd worshiping the idol, right? Mm -hmm. And I thought about that and I thought, you know, even as they were watching Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego obey God and not bow down to false idols or worship um, any other king besides their own, um, don't you know even in their hearts they're like, oh God, I'm wrong right now. Mm. Uh, while they're obeying, even am I not being challenged in my spirit that I'm, I'm making a mistake right here. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, I know their story was probably encouragement to other Jews who had also been taken from the land of Jerusalem right. and brought back to Babylon. So, yeah. Awesome. Uh, the next question that came in was, can our personal faith grow only when in the fire or can it also grow in the process of waiting for the fire? Oh, I think that's a great question. Um, not only can your personal faith grow while you're waiting for the fire, it definitely can grow in the fire, but that waiting period, uh, that's a period where Ken was talking about in the week number two, where we pray and ask God for wisdom and tact, mm. which is knowing the right thing to do and applying it in the right moment. Mm. Well, if we have wisdom, we'll uh, apply wisdom in a way that we can learn, huh, I'm not in the fiery furnace yet, but it may be around the corner. That's a time when you start to learn from others, much like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel in mm -hmm. the first couple of chapters were together in community. They were actually able to experience um, uh, an energy from each other. They were able to be encouraged by each other and be obedient with each other. And, mm -hmm. and I think that, you know, like a grow group or um, even some serve teams you're, you're on, you're in community with people doing that together. You learn from what God is doing in other people's lives. Mm -hmm. um, so not only are you standing there with Nebuchadnezzar's looking into your window and how you suffer or prepare yourself to go into the fiery furnace, but sometimes you can just have wisdom because you've had a chance to watch what they've gone through and avoid making that mistake altogether. Mm -hmm. 
I think that's what God would want for us anyway, mm -hmm. as we work out our salvation, is to actually watch others and be in community so that we could avoid times of disobedience. Hey, I don't want to walk through the furnace. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Neither do you. Uh -huh. If we can avoid them, better. Better for the choice of wisdom, always, mm -hmm. uh, than to go through. So yes, your personal faith can totally grow while you're waiting for your furnace moment. Mm -hmm. uh, and it can be even purified and perfected uh, when you're in those tough times and you have to call out to God. Because sort of as it was with the Israelites, uh, ups and downs with them, so it is with us. Mm -hmm. It's times when we're doing so well and everything's running along just perfectly that you say, oh, I'm great, I don't need any help, you know. But really that's the time to start preparing because when the valley comes and you're on your back looking up, you're saying, hey, um, God, I totally need you. Mm -hmm. But we need him in the high moments as much as we need him in the low moments. Right. The low moments just turn us back toward him yep. uh, in a deeper way. Absolutely. Well, the next question that we got in was um, really one that we got standing at the atrium greeting people. A lot of people coming up to us today saying, man, yeah. Wayne, I'm in the fire right now. And it's hard. Uh, and, and so maybe a question would be, how would you encourage those people? If there's someone out there that says, yeah, I'm in the fire, how would you encourage them this morning? Well, <clears throat> there are a number in the fire. I mean, in my circle, in your circle, um, a lot of people who are experiencing uh, difficult times, family, finances, uh, professional uh, challenges, uh, family, uh, parenting-like, marriage-like, you know, those mm -hmm. two challenges together. But when you're in a fiery furnace moment and the outcome is unclear, we have to take the lesson that they gave. And that was, uh, our God is able, so we have to trust Him. Instead of bowing down to me, I want to save it, I want to fix it, I want to control it. God, you're able. I don't know what to do here. Give us wisdom in that moment. And I think the other thing we can learn from is not only does He meet us and deliver us from the fire, uh, but sometimes it's the in the fire, right, is the mm -hmm. moment. And sometimes while you're in the fire, I almost feel like we could be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And while we're in that bad situation, somehow you find comfort in mm -hmm. that. And you know God is with you because the scripture says he sent his Holy Spirit as the comforter. Mm -hmm. And so in that moment, we're comforted in a way that we're not breathing in the smoke, we're not burning up in the fire, but we're actually able to survive in it. Mm -hmm. um, we don't want to be here, get us out of here, but while we're here, God, where are you? Mm -hmm. And if you're with us and you're close by and your Holy Spirit is comforting, then show me where you are and what you're wanting to do. And uh, I want to get on board with you as quick as I can, God, because I don't want to stay here forever. Yeah. I want to learn whatever you're teaching me. But sometimes, Michael, sometimes we don't get out of the fire. Yeah. Um, Sometimes our ultimate end comes and we weren't delivered out of the furnace. I mean, we, we perish, right? Mm -hmm. But that's why you have to have faith and trust in Jesus Christ because ultimately in the end, uh, you want to have the salvation and it can put you through the fire, take you on the other side of the fire and have eternity with Christ. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes is the deliverance on the other side. Mm -hmm. And uh, one I'm totally good with as well. Mm -hmm. Deliver me before deliver me in. Mm -hmm. Sometimes uh, the fire is going to rage, but just send your Holy Spirit to comfort me mm -hmm. and uh, deliver me on the other side so I can have an eternity with you. Yeah, and really just asking, Lord, help me focus in the fire on the, the result that's happening right now. I think it's so easy to focus on what your situation you're in, but to put that hope and focus on the future, that's a good piece of encouragement. Yeah, that's what I would say. Well, the last thing, uh, we got to see the awesome Woodlands Campus update this oh, morning before the service yes. and 
fun to see maybe some familiar faces and I'm sure there's a lot of people who were on the Klein campus today who saw you and are just saw the video and are thinking am I allowed out at the Woodlands campus or like am I <laughs> do I have to stay here can I go take a peek are, are, are you allowed yes yes for heaven's sakes come come see it yeah, yeah. be part of it well, here's the thing. Um, I think today when everyone got to see the update mm -hmm. and uh, we had the high level photo where you could see the trailers getting loaded yeah, and cool. the time lapse of the uh, truss coming up and down, mm -hmm. oh, it's fantastic. I don't think many people realize just how much is going on to convert that school into mm -hmm. a worship space every yeah, week. And uh, I think that was eye-opening for a lot of people and they did see some familiar faces. Yeah. And yes, not only can they come out to the Woodlands campus, we're inviting them to, we want them to, yeah. uh, come out and see it for one Sunday, just drive up there at 10 o'clock is our service time. And uh, we'll be um, happy to have you, welcome you. And uh, I think once you experience it, then you can come back to Klein if you're a, a Klein person. And you know how to be praying for the Woodlands campus because yeah. you've seen all that, your mm -hmm. paradigm changes. So yes, we want everyone to come and participate that, worship with us as we worship together here. But you know, I, I will say this, Michael, uh, in the end, I love the fact that when we say, for all of you who are at the Woodlands campus joining us just now, mm -hmm. or Center Court East, Center Court West, or online, mm -hmm. I love the fact that Faith Bridge is always knit together. Mm -hmm. um, I love that. Uh, one church, one mission, uh, always connected by one message, mm -hmm. um, all at the same time. It, it's fantastic. And that's why, and one of the things I love about Faith Bridge so much. Yeah. And it's, it is a great experience out at the Woodlands campus. It's cool to see, I think Ken mentioned in the video, just how God is moving there and the same disciple-making process that's happening here at the Klein campus is happening in the Woodlands too. Same. It's awesome. Well, thanks for being here thank with you. us, Wayne, and thank you for joining in on another edition of Postscript. We'll be back next week uh, with Jason Johnson, so we're looking forward to that. Please come and join us next week. Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org slash postscript.